Rich and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Happy Saturday, everybody. This is Arizona Sports Saturday. It's your weekend stop for live and local sports talk. I'm Mitch. He's Steve. We've got Trevor back after his time away. It's good to see Trev again. Good to have you back in here. I missed you guys. I missed you too, Trev. We didn't even get all the gloating that you earned as a result of your team going 15-0 and this year. We didn't even hear your reaction to Michigan winning at all. Do you have it still? Is there anything left for you? Nah. Nah, it's, it's all gone now. Oh, I feel it. It's all good. It's probably because Harbaugh took off for the NFL. On to right? the next thing. Yeah, yeah that, that makes me a little sad, but we'll be all right. Yeah, I think you guys will be fine. Michigan, the powerhouse, of course, the favorite of Trev's. Um... It was a busy week, too, speaking of uh, NFL. The Super Bowl, uh, I think, is this Sunday. I can't really keep track because it feels like the last two Super Bowl weeks here in the Valley, it's been sun, 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 suns, right? Yeah. I feel like we've barely even talked about the game on the station. No, that's fair. And I mean, people are out at the Waste Management Phoenix Open today and all this weekend. Uh, they sold out tickets for today yeah. like, well over a week ago. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if we hear about attendance records today. They've they've sold millions of alcoholic beverages <laughs> over the last two days, as they tend to do, right? Uh, so yeah, you're probably on your way out to the open this weekend. I know you're you're gonna head over there tomorrow, right? My first ever trip to the U. You've to the never Waste been open, never. What have you been doing? I know. So I've. Do you live under a rock? So in fairness to me, I've only lived here since. I went out to college here. So like I've never lived here my whole life or anything. Anytime that I visited Arizona prior, it was during the summer. So Man. yeah, this is my first time getting to actually attend the open. And that's, it's not not dude. for work, not none of that. It's for me. That's good. That's the way to do it. You don't want to go and have responsibilities. No. Because I, really this is not the event for that. This is, this is not is the, the event, event where nobody wants responsibilities. <laughs> Enjoy it, dude. That'll be fun. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it, and hopefully the um, hopefully the weather wants to participate because it's been kind of a downer for that. Yeah, this whole day week. one, not good. What has not been a downer? The Phoenix Suns playing a lot better as of late, as you and I have discussed um, in the last couple of weeks. They have a game tonight where we're going to get to see the first look at the new look Phoenix Suns. In case you didn't know, they officially acquired Royce O'Neal out of Brooklyn and David Roddy out of Memphis. It was part of a three-team deal, so it was the one trade that they made, and they got two guys that they see as immediate additions to their current rotation, Steve. Yeah. No, I mean, Royce O'Neal made a lot of sense. That was a name we had talked about for the last couple of weeks as like a 3-and-D kind of guy, a forward, um, which is something that we were always told. Gambo had reported for weeks that they were looking for somebody who could be a 3-and-D wing, wing, a guy yes. who could play the four or play the three a little bit. Um, and so that's what they went out and did. Um, they did not get a point guard the way that some people, a lot of people, thought they probably should have. Um, that never seemed like something that they were all that interested in. Uh, I, I've always said it didn't make a lot of sense to me either because if you were going to put another ball handler on the floor, that takes the ball away from Devin Booker and Bradley Beal and mm -hmm. inevitably Kevin Durant. And so that never made sense to me. I understand the opinion that uh, having a traditional point guard helps to run a more traditional offense. That's not really what they have. So I, I don't think that that ever made a lot of sense to me. And then, uh, what'd you call him? Big Body Roddy? Big Body Roddy. That's how he goes <laughs> is by. That his, is that his actual that's nickname? That's his legitimate nickname. That's David awesome. Roddy. Um, I didn't know much about David Roddy, but 
from what I can tell you, uh, it, a lot of this is about depth play. Yes. I don't know that he's going to have a major role with this team. I, I like that they brought in another four who can be that big body guy that, you know, takes some of the blows here and there. He's 22. Um, this is a guy they can hold on to for the next couple seasons because, let's be honest, the way they constructed the roster, they were scheduled to have pretty much nobody on the roster outside of the big three for the next couple of years. So this gives you a little bit more depth. And I tell you what, why don't we start right there? The aspect that you just brought up, the fact that Roddy has a couple of years of control after this year. Sure. Royce O'Neal could be had after this year as well. You've got Grayson Allen going into free agency. You've got Eric Gordon going into free agency. The only guys that you're guaranteed on this Suns team after this year are the big three in Yusuf Nurkic, if I'm not mistaken. Everybody else was either a one-year deal or you got them with their final year of their contract that they're currently on. Now they're set up that they can actually establish continuity. continuity. Yeah. yeah, that's the word I was looking for. It's Yeah, you're right. I mean, this helps a little bit. Although, I got to be honest with you, I thought Jordan Goodwin was part of that equation as well. Because he could be he fell out of the while. rotation early, though. Yeah, and I, I really thought that was a guy that they were going to try to invest in longer term. I don't know what that would have looked like, um, because of the four guys that they let go in this trade, Chimezi Metu played a bunch. I thought you know he was he was at least playing. Some of these other guys weren't. Yuta Watanabe wasn't playing, so that's not really a piece you're going to miss all that much. They brought him in as a corner three specialist, and. You know, they just didn't end up needing that too much. They needed somebody who could play defense at the position. Um, you lose Metu. Okay, there's some athleticism there, but they wanted somebody who could play better defense. And you lose Jordan Goodwin. Well, they're not really looking for a guard right now. That's that's kind of what they have in surplus at, mm-hmm. at the highest level. Um, and then who's the fourth one I'm missing that went out? Did you say Kata? And then Kata Bates-Diop, who I'm actually surprised didn't work out better in Phoenix because I thought... When they made all those uh, vet minimum signings, I don't remember the order in which they happened, but Kata Bates-Diop was probably the one I was at least most excited about. He was one of the names that Gambo mentioned early on in the process of this is the guy that they're targeting. But I think now that we're at the halfway point in the season and that half of these guys that they signed to one-year deals are gone, this is this is what we should have expected, right? You're signing guys to a vet minimum contract. You're expecting either the best of the best or the worst of the worst. You're not giving them a ton of money. You're giving them a ton of opportunity with a talented top end of your roster. And if it works out, great. You make the most of what they have to offer. Like Eric Gordon's an exception because he's a veteran. So you knew what you were getting with Eric Gordon, but you got lucky to sign him to a vet's minimum contract. But the only guy left, if I recall correctly, Drew Eubanks is one of the only guys left of those vet minimum signings that the Suns made this offseason. Uh, Bull Bull is here too. Eric Gordon was a vet minimum right, guy. But, but my argument against Gordon was that he's so so much of a veteran. He's not like a young veteran, like a what? Like a, prove it, like a one-year right. prove-it thing. He's very much proven in this league. Gotcha. They've parted ways with more than half of the guys that they signed this offseason already. Yeah, you could also choose to look at it. From the glass half full perspective. Of course. You signed eight guys to the veteran minimum, meaning the absolute lowest risk possible, to see what you could get out of them. And about half of them, it worked. I guess is one way you could look at it. Yeah. Um, so, I, I don't know. If you bat 500, you go to the Hall of Fame, <laughs> typically. But oh, There uh, was a lot of argument about that with Puxatani Phil earlier in the week. Did you see all that? Oh, yeah. He's only right like 37% of the time. Yeah. He and but his like, ancestors. But if he was a baseball player, he's a Hall of Famer. That's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> um, yeah, I think 
I don't know, man. I go back to Kata Bates D up for a second. That's that's the guy that when they signed him to that vet minimum deal, I thought it was a chance for him to prove on a contending team that he could get a real big deal next year somewhere. Mm -hmm. And this was, quite frankly, statistically speaking, it was his weakest year of his career in Phoenix. And a lot of that has to do with playing time. He's only getting 15 minutes a game, but this is a guy that got 22-ish minutes a game last year and had double the stats. And so... I still think there's a lot of potential there. I thought he could have been that 3 and D kind of guy, but the three-point percentage just wasn't even close. Last year, he shot 39%. This year, 31%. So he just never really picked up steam. So you subtract four parts of the equation that really weren't contributing a ton to your success or your failures, and you get a guy in Royce O'Neal who you think can kind of do it all at that position. It's a game of bigger or better, right? Yeah. You you know that game? Start with a paperclip and then you work your way up to like a house. Full ha- yeah, let's call it a house. <laughs> I've seen people do that online. It's one of my favorite episodes of uh, The Office as well. Traded a telescope for a fake magic beans. It was a great episode. But that's kind of what the Suns did at the deadline. They took these four dudes, as you just said, and traded it up right. for something better. Is this better, though? Like, are the Suns, the way they are right now, a better team than they were prior to the deadline? If we were to break it down, your playoff rotation is probably going to be Durant, Beal, Booker, Nurkic, Grayson Allen, Eric Gordon, and then what? Was Roy- that, Royce O'Neal? Yeah, that's seven. So Royce O'Neal, eight. Eric, or uh, I already said Gordon. Josh Kogi, Drew Eubanks, Bull Bull, David Roddy. Well, somebody's got to play the backup center, so one of those guys gets in. Eubanks and Bull. Or do you even go thinner and just put Durant at the five? You know, I'm, I'm still really intrigued, and I think the fan base is really intrigued with Bull Bull. And, oh, they love him. And so I would really want to see that guy in the playoffs. I know he's not a finished product by any means, but the skill set, the body, I mean, we've talked about this a lot. He's just very intriguing yes. as a prospect. And so I, I want to see that come to fruition. No offense to Drew Eubanks. I think he's done pretty darn well in his reserve role. And I like him as, as an athletic big. He's had some great burst yeah. moments off the bench. And he brings something a little bit different defensively. Uh, he's a good shot blocker. He's a good over-the-top dunker. Um, so I don't know, man. They've got a lot of guys that could fit into this. It, it depends on what kind of rotation you want to run in the postseason. Do you want to run seven or eight guys like you typically see? Or what you're forced to run. I mean, think, yeah. about, think about some of the teams that are ahead of them. Minnesota running the two bigs, right? Oklahoma City a little bit smaller, but Chet's a, a huge threat as a shot block. Or He's thin, but yeah. The Nuggets. That's a big, Ugh. stocky team. It's a big challenge. The Clippers with Avica Zubats. And two of the better perimeter and even download defenders in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Like, you're going up against some really strong teams. Can you afford to go small if that's the route that you choose to go? So we expect tonight will be the first time we get to see Royce O'Neal, right? I think so. So I'm more curious if we see David Roddy as well. Yeah, and you probably will in some Because a big part of the reporting was the Suns weren't going to acquire guys unless they were going to crack that eight, nine-man rotation. So if you acquire David Roddy, are we expecting minutes immediately? Like as soon as tonight. Is David Roddy going to be a part of the rotation as soon as tonight? Yeah, and you gotta set expectations too, right? So like Royce O'Neal, for instance. Uh he's shooting thirty-six, almost thirty-seven percent from three. It's his lowest shooting percentage since his rookie year from three this season. His field goal percentage is also pretty close to his lowest of his career. So from an offensive perspective, you're not expecting double-digit points out of this guy every night. You're just not. 
But I will tell you that over the last two weeks or so, this is a guy who is playing pretty well in terms of shooting percentage, 39% from three. So this is a defensive upgrade at the position. Imagine that he probably gets a handful of minutes, somewhere between 15 and 25 minutes a game as the backup for, I almost think of him like Torrey Craig over the last few years. Yep. Where he's a defensive upgrade, can shoot the three a little bit, um, but isn't going to carry the load on any given night. Coming up next, Super Bowl's this Sunday. It's a big game. You but think? If, but, <laughs> all right, maybe I'm underselling it. big game. But if you're a Cardinals fan, do you automatically know who you're rooting for? We'll try to answer that question next here on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Forty ers Chiefs, the Super Bowl this year. Can you bring it upon yourself as a Cardinals fan? Can you live with cheering for Brock Purdy, the local kid? I ask this because I think a lot of people are struggling with this conundrum in their head. There were some Let's Go Brock Purdy billboards in town over the last week or so. I think I saw today there's actually another round of it. Yeah, there probably are. I mean, these are all over the place. Yeah, rightfully so. He's he's in the biggest game of his career. Okay, so life. that kind of tells me where you stand on this. But I think a lot of people are up in arms about this. They can't bring themselves to root for a division rival. That That's, I think... Even the, though he's a local kid. That's the core of this entire argument, discussion, however we want to look at it. Can you root for the team that has been your rival for as long as you've been a Cardinals fan? Or can you let it go for one game because they have the local kid? Here's the Mr. Irrelevant, but now is completely Mr. Relevant. Yeah, right. The guy who keeps called. coming in to teams as the third string quarterback and keeps leaving as their hero. Comes out of this state and could bring glory to Arizona. But it would come in the form of a Super Bowl trophy again for San Francisco. Yeah, and not the Cardinals. Well, the Cardinals have Obviously. to get to the games. Yeah, do that. They've only done that once. But, I mean, in, in recent memory, I mean, you've had the Seahawks have won champion, haven't won a championship. The Rams have won a Super Bowl championship. The 49ers, if they win this game tomorrow, would be Super Bowl champions, obviously. That would be three in the division since, what, 2013? 13, Everyone in the division in the last decade would have a championship but you. One thing I will say about that is when Matthew Stafford won the Super Bowl, us in Detroit and Michigan, we claimed that one too. So, so would you like do that you for Brock Purdy if you want? Of course. See, that's a little different though, in my opinion, because but, but Matthew Stafford where... played in the NFL sure. in Detroit. But he I was understand... not a Detroit guy. But I understand where Trev's coming from because it had been... It was literally the year that he got traded to L.A. that he won the Super Bowl. That's right. So right. after all of those years in Detroit, after, what was it, one trip to the playoffs with Stafford? Yeah, yeah it was one. Various reasons behind why Detroit struggled to get to the playoffs. But Matthew Stafford was kind of seen as the guy that was going to help get them there. And for him to go to and then win the Super Bowl immediately upon being traded away, I can understand why there would be a side of that fan base that is frustrated and would not want to root for his success, right? But I'm kind of with Trev in that argument and saying, what did Matthew Stafford do wrong as to prevent Detroit from getting to that ultimate Oh, yeah, price, he didn't right? do anything wrong. He did everything right. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. 
Oh, no, you're not wrong. Okay. Not wrong at all. So okay. here's the simple solution to the Brock Purdy conundrum. Root for the player, not the team. Sure. Is it that easy? I mean, that's how I, I feel. I don't think that's easy, though. Like, because there's a lot of Cardinals fans that absolutely despise the 49ers, right? Sure. Part of that is because they're tired of getting beat up by the team that's better than them. They're tired of being outfanned in their own stadium by the team that's several hours away. Right? Several miles away, too. Several hundred miles away, I should See, say. See, I've always been able to separate the two things. Your hatred for a team, an organization, or even a city, and the player. Like, I root for players on an individual level sometimes. Like, do we hate the Dodgers? Of course we hate the Dodgers. But, I ain't, I ain't but root, I'm a fan of Mookie Betts. But I can't I'm root, a fan of Freddie Freeman. Sure, but I can't root for any of them to win anything. They're still the Dodgers. I despise them with every vein in my body. So, by that math, do all Cardinals fans need to be cheering for the Kansas City Chiefs because they don't have a rooting interest against them? Technically, yes. But I do see the side of the argument that is Cardinals fans should just be rooting for Brock Purdy because he's the local kid. Yeah, that's how I feel. Not that you should, that you can. That it's okay. That it's not taboo to root for a guy who grew up here in the Valley, went to Perry High School, wasn't recruited heavily at all, especially locally, as we find out. He's a fantastic underdog story. Yeah, he's a phenomenal underdog story. He went to Iowa State which is barely even a football program most Mm -hmm. years. And he's third string, third or fourth string at Iowa State when he shows up. Everyone else gets hurt. He plays, is in the Heisman conversation. He wasn't invited to New York, I don't think. But he was in the conversation at Iowa State, of all places. Then becomes a pro, like you mentioned earlier, gets drafted dead last in the draft. Which, I mean, at that point, you almost probably prefer that you're a free agent so you can pick where you go. Sure. Uh, But he doesn't get that. He gets drafted by Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco when they're going through their own quarterback controversy like they always seem to be. And then he's third or fourth string there again, and everyone else gets hurt again, and he's the hero again. But that was also a justifiable third string. Because they had Jimmy Garoppolo and they had drafted Trey Lance with a top three pick. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying it wasn't justifiable. And then the fact that Lance got hurt and then Garoppolo came in, yeah, got hurt, and Purdy comes in and just turns out does to what be he always maybe does. the best quarterback of the three. He wins games. I, I think that it's the most phenomenal story. It's a great local story. And if you as a Cardinals fan can't get behind it, that's okay. That's okay. But I'm here to tell you, you can. It's okay for you to root for Brock Purdy on an individual level. I won't hold it against you for, quote-unquote, rooting for the division rival 49ers. That's not how I see it. Not as strong of a double down, but you could even root for ASU alum Brandon Ayuk, who's sure catching passes from Brock yeah. Purdy. You can find excuses to root for the Niners, even beyond just rooting for the guys that came from here, Right. I think it goes both ways for the Chiefs, too. Like, people are going to be turned off by a whole number of things. Probably primarily Taylor Swift, unfortunately for her. unfortunately. On top of that, the fact that they're dynastic at this point. This is their fourth Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes in the six years that he's been a starter for them. Do people like that consistency? Do people like that dominance every single year? Or do people appreciate it to the point of saying, 
there is nobody better than that dude and that team. Yeah. Well, I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot. You know me well enough. I root for narratives. I try to figure yeah. out which side has the better narratives, and that's that's what I want. Sometimes if there is no great narrative, I want chaos, and that's just the way I am. But, I mean, really, you look at the narratives. We talked about Brock Purdy and what that would do for his story. I mean, if that kid wins a Super Bowl, come on. That's one of the best stories of all time. Uh, I also think that there's a narrative around Kyle Shanahan and growing up you know, under the tutelage of his own father and being a part of that Washington uh, staff with all those other Super Bowl caliber coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's an interesting part of the narrative. Christian McCaffrey being the best running back in football over the last five, six, seven years. There's a narrative there. Um, but then on the other side, you talk about Andy Reid, who I think is probably going to be at the end of his career in the conversation for greatest coach of all time. If he adds a couple more Super Bowl rings... I mean, come on, that's that's a real fun, that's a fun conversation Mm -hmm. because he's continued to be great when at a time when Bill Belichick can't get a job. And so that's an interesting conversation as well. So there's a lot of fun narratives in this game. I I don't know who exactly, I think I'm rooting for Brock Purdy. I think I'm just rooting for him on an individual level. I have my reasons and I'm rooting for the 49ers. Okay. But mine has nothing to do with fandom. It has to do with. Opposition, okay. That I'm not. We can dig more into that a little bit later in the show. Yeah, we're doing. We're going to give our predictions coming up at around twelve thirty. Coming up next, predictions with the trade deadline over in the NBA. Who might hit the buyout market that the Suns can scoop up? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Barrelis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. I think Trevor's excited for the halftime show tomorrow. If I if I'm catching your drift correctly, right? What's, what's giving it away? This is an Usher song, right? That is correct. Confessions was the last one too. Yep, that was All right. it. All right, when are we gonna get some Reba? <laughs> Just kidding. You want some I got you. <laughs> All right. Figured. Uh, it's good to have the crew back together on a Saturday here in the Octune Community Studios. Time to talk about the next phase for the Phoenix Suns. And mm. what do we mean by that? We have the current roster as it stands right now is actually, Steve, I don't know if you knew this, two players short of being full. Do you have to carry... What is it, 14? Yeah, I think that's the max. I don't know if you have to fill both of those those okay. slots necessarily. Well, clearly they're not right now, right? Yeah, so they have two slots available, which means they have two guys that they could entertain grabbing off of the buyout market. That's the next phase. They've made this trade. They've gotten two guys that they f- see as rotation guys for the postseason, and they have a couple of roster slots that they have less to fill. This time around, however, there's some caveats. And what do I mean by that? It means that the Suns can only get certain players off of the buyout market. What does that entail exactly? It it means this. And shout out Bobby Marks with ESPN, who's the master when it comes to salaries and money moves in the NBA. And big, he's a numbers dork. He's a front office insider. He very yeah. much is knowledgeable in this field, and we love him for that. The Suns are ineligible. To sign a player that has been waived, that had a pre-existing salary at $12.4 million or more. So Because they're a second apron team? Because they're a second apron team, which means they're already spending so much money, they're not allowed to take on even more money. They can take on anybody below that, 
So anybody that say got like a $10 million deal for this past year, they can sign them, but they can't sign. For example, Marcus Morris was bought out, but he's making 14, 16. I think it was. Is that like a competitive balancing out? thing for the NBA. They're I don't like, know specifically. The second apron teams are probably some of the better teams in the league. Sure. The players who made over $12.5 million were probably the more valuable players, so they don't want the best buyout players to go to the best teams for competitive reasons. That's yeah. how I read that rule. I think that makes sense. Okay. But at the same time, they're introducing all these rules to kind of slow down the spending of money because they are tired of the Warriors always going into the tax. And now here we are with the Suns dealing with this exact same thing where they're going into the tax. They're spending they a just ton of money. added like $20 million in tax dollars by uh-huh. adding Royce O'Neal. They subtracted two players from their team and they went up $20 million. Matt Ishbia is not afraid to spend money, man. I tell yeah, you that much. No kidding. So if you're looking at got, let's let's start with positions. What position would you like to attack first if you're the Suns in the buyout market? Um, so it's funny. I haven't actually thought this through yet. So let's do this live on the air. Center, I don't think is a need, a position of need right now. If you're I know, sticking with Eubanks and Bull, yeah, no, you're good. Yeah, I don't think that that's a nece- necessarily a need right now. Um, you just added Royce O'Neal and Big Body Roddy for the three and four position, like a forward. So I don't think forward would be a huge position of need. Um, you did lose Jordan Goodwin, who's kind of your backup point guard behind Bradley Beal and Devin Booker, I guess. Yeah, they don't even really have a main point. So maybe that's okay. You but could add a point guard, whether traditional or non traditional, like a shooter instead. You could add that as like you do need a body who can play the one, I think. I mean, does this team really need another guard that can also play the one? That just reads to me as another guy that's going to want to hold on to the ball. And you've already got three dudes. That- well, this person, first of all, probably isn't going to play a ton. Sure. Think back to last year. Who was the buyout guy? Terrence Ross. Terrence Ross. And he had some moments. I think he had a 30-point game at one point. Um, he's a pretty effective scorer. But for the most part, Terrence Ross was not going to be a huge part of the equation. But this is the difference with acquiring a guy in a trade and acquiring a guy on the buyout market. Just because you acquire somebody in a trade doesn't necessarily mean you're forced to play them. No, it's it's about how you approach it. Yes, the Suns approached the trade deadline. They wanted to acquire guys that were going to crack their final eight, their final nine of their rotation. Seems like they did that. Buyout guys, why would you sign them if you weren't going to play them? That's question number one. Uh, Fill out your roster, have some depth in case of injury. But then at the same time, why would buyout guy agree to sign to team if they weren't going to play? Yeah, I get that. So it goes both ways. I get that. Uh, I, the, the initial question you asked me was, what position do you think they have available that they even need a body? Mm-hmm. All I can really come up with is point guard. Can I throw out a name that would be very much a project trying to revive his career at a very, very early stage in his career? Okay. Killian Hayes, who just got cut by the Detroit Pistons, the former number seven overall pick. He's I a, was hoping you wasn't going to say that. Oh, sorry, Trev. He's a young guy. Right? He's relatively young, twenty early 20s, 22 24. 22 years old. 22. 22. Uh, okay, so you've got that. Like, there could be some longevity there. They just added David Roddy in hopes that he'll be around for possibly a couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it brings some youth to a team that's, quite frankly, older. Um, I could see Killian Hayes making some sense. It's the point guard position we talked about. Uh, he doesn't have to run the offense. 
He doesn't even have to play a ton. And yeah. to your point, he's probably not going to be looking for a huge role because he just got cut from the worst team in basketball. And it was just kind of a, he's going to go into his final year. So, like, the Pistons decided that he's not a part of our future, so we're just going to cut him now, give him an opportunity somewhere else, right? The Pistons are loaded with guards. They have Jaden Ivey, yeah. they have Cade Cunningham, they have Marcus Sasser that they've been working in lately. Imagine going from the worst team in basketball to now you're playing with Kevin Durant, Devin Booker. Well, Brian that happens Beal. a lot with the buyout, right? No, I get it. Where did yeah. Terrence Ross come from? Terrence Ross was on an okay-to-poor Magic team when he was cut and then added by the Suns, right? Here we are a year later, and the Magic are actually kind of good. Everybody's talking about and assuming that Kyle Lowry, who was traded out of Miami to Charlotte, is going to be put on the buyout market, and he's probably going to end up somewhere that can afford him because he's making like $30 million this well, year. Well, that won't be Phoenix, right? Because Kyle Lowry be was making like $29 million or whatever. Yeah. Here's another name that has been tied to the Suns a lot in recent years, but hasn't lately because they've pretty much figured out this position. Corey Joseph who was kind of seen as maybe he's their next point guard to pair with Devin Booker a while ago. They went the route of uh, Ricky Rubio instead. And then that led to Chris Paul. I feel like and Corey, then that led to Bradley Beal. Wasn't Corey Joseph like kind of in the conversation around the time that Fred Van Vliet was around that conversation as well? Remember, it was like, which he point guard are they going to go with? traded, though, I believe. it's. it's but it's like those names that you hear in the Sun circles for the last couple of years. Yeah. And Corey Joseph's always just kind of been in it, but never actually pulled the trigger. I mean, it's kind of like Eric Gordon. We've been talking about Eric Gordon for like a decade mm-hmm. coming to the Suns. And he finally did. I mean, it's later in his career. But, yeah, I feel like Corey Joseph has been in that conversation for a long, long time. Joseph signed a one-year deal with the Warriors. It was only for 3.196 guaranteed. So he very much fits into the the Suns can afford him part of this equation. The question is, is, is this a guy that you want to guarantee like backup one minutes to, backup two minutes to? Do you see him getting the time over Eric Gordon? Maybe no. Josh Okogi, sure. But do you see him getting the time over Eric Gordon or Grayson Allen? No. No. But I, again, I'll go back to it. And, and you brought up a good point that, you know, typically on the buyout market, you need to offer a decent role opportunity to a player to garner their interest. I don't think the Suns have that. Especially if we're talking point guards, I, I don't. I don't think they have that. I, I don't think they have a role on the squad right now. When you have 38 minutes a game for Beal, Booker, and, and Durant at a minimum, I don't think there's a role that you can give to a buyout candidate and say, "Listen, you're going to come in and play 25 minutes, and and you're going to be the guy." I don't think that's a thing. I think you could find a role for a wing shooter because they just traded away a bunch of the guys that they figured would be wing shooters. And the way the roster is currently constructed right now, I see at least three dudes that can average 30 points a game in Beal, Booker, and Durant if they try that. Sure. But then that's 90 points of your entire team. So where's the rest of the scoring coming from? Grayson Allen, Eric Gordon, Kay. So you're going to rely on five guys to do all your scoring out of your eight slash nine? I don't know if that's really sustainable. I wonder if they could go out and give a fl- have a flyer on another shooting wing. Can I give you one? Sure. I don't know if this is considered a wing, probably more of a guard. What about Seth Curry? Brother of Steph Curry. Did he get bought out? He has not at this point. Oh, he's on Charlotte though. He's I in see. Charlotte. And I'm looking at his contract. He was making four million dollars. He's got four million dollar non guarantee for next season as well. So that's a, an interesting contract situation. Um that's a guy who shoots forty three percent from deep 
over the course of his career. Now, he's having a down year, statistically speaking. He's only playing 12 minutes a game, 36% from deep. But if you're not presenting much of a role, might as well take a flyer on another guy who's kind of like Eric Gordon, like a reliable three-point shooter, can basically spell Eric Gordon. Or if Gordon needs to to miss a game, you've got another guy waiting in the wings, literally, see what I did there, hmm. who is kind of a comparable player. We love a savvy vet. Yeah. And I think Seth Curry fits that perfectly. Plus, he's played on a lot of good teams. Seth Curry plays really, really well with big guys that know how to handle the basketball. And he's pretty familiar with Yusuf Nurkic. He was with Portland back in 2018. But again, how many guys, how many people like that do you want on your squad? You've already got... Two traditional shooting guards running basically everything in Beal and Booker. Mm -hmm. Grayson Allen is basically a shooting guard. You've got Eric Gordon, who's a shooting guard off the bench. I mean, how many shooting guards can you have if you want to double down on what you're already doing? That might be be a way to do it. It doesn't have to be guard either. Um, I don't know how much money Danilo Gallinari's making. Furkan Korkmaz also got bought out. He can get hot from three. I mean, again... It's the same risk that they had when they signed all the vet minimum contracts. It's you're only going to get so much out of these guys, right? Yeah. How much do you really expect from them? Coming up next, speaking of free agency search, turns out the Diamondbacks are still looking for help. Where are they looking and what are they looking for? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. The Arizona Diamondbacks are going to have the highest team payroll in franchise history. That's set in stone, folks. And yet, they're still looking to add to this lineup. I gotta say, I'm a little bit surprised, but pleasantly. We shouldn't be, though. And I'm going to tell you why. Because remember, the whole reason behind their signing of Jock Peterson was to balance out the lineup. Yeah, get a lefty. But what was the biggest flaw that we pointed out with Jock Peterson? Uh, He can't hit a lefty. So what do they need? A righty to hit a lefty. And it appears that that's what they're looking for, per MLB.com's Mark Feinsand. Feinsand says on Twitter, the D-backs are looking to add a right-handed hitting hitter. See what I did there? To pair at (laughs) DH with Jock Peterson, per sources. Randall Gritchick, Tommy Pham, and Adam Duvall are among the candidates. Hold on, hold on. What was that middle name you said? Uh, Tommy Pham. Heard of him? Yeah. Played for the Diamondbacks last year, obviously. Let's get the obvious out of the way. It would be a great reunion. Sure. Okay. Played pretty well down the stretch. He was a big part of their success down that stretch run in yeah. the postseason. Mm-hmm. Tommy Pham was great. I would love to have him back. I don't know if I want him back now, though, because of his recent history with Jock Peterson. Can uh, can we can we walk back through that for a second? I sure. don't feel I fully remember what happened, but I remember somebody slapped somebody. So I'm going to do this, <laughs> and that's usually not a good thing. So gather, gather around the campfire, kids. I'm going to retell you the story of how Jock Peterson got slapped across the face. Okay. These two, Jock Peterson and Tommy Pham, were once in a... Fantasy football league together. Right. I, I don't remember who the commissioner was, but it was a bunch of the baseball A player guys, right? league, yeah. Yeah, it was a player's league. And I remember it being a couple of things that sparked this animosity that Fam had for Peterson. First, a gif of a strong man that's holding up the strong barbell. This was during the 2021 season when the Giants and the Dodgers were just, and the Padres were right there. And the joke of the gif was there's like a Padres logo over the face and he's like lifting up the bar, but then he's starting to collapse and he falls backwards and falls down. 
and everybody's ah ha ha funny, except for Fam, who at the time was on the Padres and wasn't really pleased with said nature. There was another aspect of it too. Them being in this fantasy league together, I guess they had an injured reserve slot or an IL slot, which Fam claims Jock Peterson was abusing by stashing a player in said slot. Mm. Okay. And so it all comes to a head in 22 when the Giants are playing the Padre or the Reds, excuse me, in Cincinnati. They meet in the outfield, and the next thing you know, Fam slaps Jock Peterson across the face. I think he got him pretty good. And got too. suspended to it. Yeah, he got suspended three games. They originally planned to suspend him eight to ten games, which was on par with the Rugnet Odor Jose okay, Bautista my, thing. Okay. That's but then he eventually took a deal and he only got suspended for three games. Here's a quote for you. This is after Tommy Pham was confronted later after it happened. Uh-huh. Quote, I've got no regrets, none at all. Jock deserved to be slapped. Do you want to pair that guy with, do you want them to share a job? You, you want what, them to be their your co-DHs? You know what this reminds me of? Do you remember over the summer and there were discussions about where the Suns could trade DeAndre Ayton? And somebody had thrown out the Pistons as a suggestion to pair back up with Monty Williams. There was one big flaw with that suggestion is that Monty Williams just took the job in Detroit. It's like, are you kidding me? No. Are you serious right now? Doesn't feel real. This is kind of the same thing on a smaller scale. Yeah. So the question is, does Feinsand know that they are talking to Tommy Pham? Or is that just a player who's looking to be a, a platoon DH and it fits the scenario. I see it a couple of ways because Gampo put it out there yesterday that he thinks that Fam is still looking for a full-time role rather than a part-time position. Well, let's be honest. That's the hard part about trying to find a part-time DH, especially a right-hander. Let's be honest. Jock Peterson's probably going to be DHing at least 100, 110 games a year. Yep. That leaves how many for the right-handed hitting DH to play Regularly, like the other 50? 62. Yeah. 50 games, maybe. So you're asking somebody to come in and basically give you a third of a season, like a, like a very minor role in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. All three of those guys, Gritchick, Fam, Duvall, hit lefties pretty effectively. So they'd be great in this role. But all three of them should be seeking full time jobs right now because the free agent market has not moved a ton. That's what I was going to bring up is that. We are four days away from Diamondbacks pitchers and catchers reporting, and none of those guys are signed yet. Bellinger's still out both there. Sides are, both Chapman's sides. Chapman's still out there. Blake Snell, who just won the National League Cy Young Award, is still out there. Yeah, and, and I get that point, but also, too, I'm just referring to people who are position players. Sure. Like, there hasn't been a ton of movement there. So these guys should be having conversations about finding full-time gigs. And quite frankly, the way that Randall Gritchick destroyed lefties last year— he should be marketing that to other teams right now, begging for a full-time job. We're close to getting the February frenzy, let's call it, because there's still some names that you and I haven't even touched on that are yet to be signed. J.D. Martinez, hello. Yeah. Jorge Soler, hello. There's a lot of guys still out there. There's a lot of money that wants to be had, and at the same time, a lot of money that's unwilling to be given up. So I think pretty soon we're going to see the sides are going to balk at each other. Someone's going to cave. Someone is going to get a contract they want. Another is not necessarily going to get the contract they want, but they're going to make the most of it. The February frenzy, it's upon us because there's no way that these guys that are out there are going to go without a team this year. It's going to happen. Somebody's going to get signed. The Diamondbacks should prioritize 
the latter aspect of it, of the seeing if they can get the player to balk. And the reason why is because I think their team's pretty much set otherwise. I think this team can get away with going into the spring, going into March, the beginning of the season, and they could look at their roster and say, I think we're pretty solid. And maybe we're one piece away, but you know what? We've got a big chunk of the stuff that we needed to get done, done. I think of the names that Mark Feinsand brings up. Randall Gritchick makes the most sense to me. He's here's intriguing why. because of the lefty OPS, right? Yeah, here's why. Left-handed against lefties last season. This is just 2023. Okay. He hit 328 batting average against lefties. Against righties, he hit 244. He's dramatically better, like 80 points higher against lefties. Sure. Look at the on-base percentage against left-handed pitching. 388. Righties? 294, 90 points higher against lefties. OPS, you mentioned, 995. He's almost got 1,000 OPS against Mm left-handers. Right-handers, 694, 300 points lower. So this is the guy that he might not be able to convince another team that he can get a full-time outfield role because he just can't seem to hit the righties as well, not even close as well. So this might be a perfect fit, statistically speaking, but here's the other part of the equation we haven't touched on yet. How much money do you have to spend on a part-time right-handed hitting DH? One year something or one and one. What's the maximum that you think the Diamondbacks would spend on that? They're not going to give out a $10 million contract. I was going to say they they? might hit a max of like seven and a half or eight. Yeah. I argue for Adam Duvall, actually. Okay. And it's less about the fact that his numbers are worse against lefties in comparison to Grichik. It's more about his defensive upside. Because the Suns, or Suns, we'll get to them in a second. I, th- I think I knew what you meant. <laughs> the, Di- <laughs> the Diamondbacks have a really strong defensive outfield, right? They do, yeah. With Corbin Carroll, with Alec Thomas, Jake Gurriel is a top left fielder, He's I'm here to tell one you. one of the better DRS left fielders out there. I know, left fielders is a weaker position, but sure, he makes the plays. Adam Duvall is a gold glover. In recent years, not like, like Mar- remember Marcelo Zuna winning a gold glove with Miami? Not really. And then the, the <laughs> and then yeah, the St. Yeah. Louis gaff when he was with the Cardinals, where he he climbed the wall and then fe- fell over when the ball f- landed like 15 feet in front of not him. Not the most graceful of players. My point being is that Adam Duvall not only provides you the need of a guy who can hit against left-handed pitching, but he can also play in the outfield and still covers pretty darn well. He won a gold glove, Duvall did, in 2021. Which position was now, that technically for? Out, it, it, they just list him as outfield, but that year, the three winners were Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, and Adam Duvall. You could make the argument Adam Duvall won that as a center fielder. You could. I don't, I don't know which position he played the most that year, 2021, but Adam Duvall, to your point, he's not just a corner outfield guy like a Tommy Pham. You could stick him in the outfield, but what did we see in the World Series when they did that? It's not the greatest defensive I, uh, output. Yeah, And Adam Duvall brings a lot more defensively than these other two guys do. I'll give you that. I'll definitely give you that. I'm curious to see if it'll go that way, but those are three interesting names that Mark Feinstein threw out there the other day. Coming up next. What did the rest of the Western Conference in the NBA do at the trade deadline, and how does that impact the Suns moving forward? We're going to tell you next.